Now Pastor Stan will lead us in our morning message, Jesus' Prayer. I get all of the uh, stuff you don't get because you can't see the screen today. The projector is not working. I guess you know that, don't you? See if I can't uh, get this thing up out of my way a little bit here. And I, it's going to be a brief message. Um, I wanted to just some uh, prefacing. We're gonna, our main service is going to be in the ceremonies that we're going to participate in. What is the value of human life? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? <laughs> what is the value? Well, um, there have been several values throughout the uh, life history. Uh, Moses said life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Pretty much that's the way laws of the land work today. That they uh, look at what has been caused, uh, what has been wronged, and then they try to correct it. Um, there is an industry on this. You may have picked this up because um, the work of one gentleman by the name of Ken Freiberg, or Feinberg, has for years carried out this kind of procedure. Uh, he began his work in 1984 when he was appointed to dispute the money uh, solutions from the $180 million settlement for Vietnam veterans who were suing for you know, the makers of Agent Orange. And so it was his job to figure out how much each recipient should get. And basically early on in Ken Feinberg's career, he based it upon economics. He considered what your potential economic value was by how much income capacity you were going to make, and you, the settlement was based upon that. Nowadays, he has changed his mind, but it took him a lot of time to get to that. So what is the value of a person in financial terms? How do you weigh the worth of a person? On September 11, this came again, uh, uh, terrorist attacks in which uh, uh, he, Ken Feinberg was the sole decision maker on how much of the $7 billion should be spread out on, and how much to each person in all of those uh, crashes there. Uh, victims and families who accepted money had to uh, guarantee that they would not sue the airlines whose planes were used in the attacks. And uh, around 98% of the 5,562 families uh, 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 who lost their lives were funded in some of the settlements from that. He has also worked out compensation for, you remember the Aurora movie disaster when so many people were killed and the Virginia Tech shootings to figure out the value and the asbestos sufferers and the um, BP oil mess. It was him. You saw him probably in the news. He was the guy that was given charge of dispersing the funds. And he made that decision based upon what he thought a person was worth. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? At the end of this month, he will divvy up the $50 million collected in the one fund, you remember, from the Boston Marathon victims. This is a little different because it's not a company or anything. It's just volunteer donations that have come in. Almost $50 million have come in, and it's going to be divided up among those families. And so it's a little different calculations. And he's changed his mind, as I said, about how do you calculate a person's worth. Well, there have been various different attempts to do this. 
In 2002, an attempt was made to reduce the value of the elderly. Are you elderly paying attention to this? Uh, to reduce their value by 38% uh, compared to people who are under, under 70. So most of the people in this congregation today are worth 38% less than any of us that happen to be under 70. At least there was an attempt. Okay? In 2004, the EPA reduced the value of everyone in their calculations. When they have to, you know, make some calculations, it's no longer 7.9, but down to 7 million. After Obama administration took over in 2009, the EPA reversed its decision and returned it back up to 7.9. So there has been some pressure on. Um, to determine the value, I'm, getting, I'm going to come back to this, but first I want to take a little sidestep now and talk about what other people have said about life and how precious it is and how we should live our lives. Then we're going to come back and see what Jesus says about the value of souls. This is uh, Khalil Kebron. Do you, have you heard of this individual? A great poet. Uh, writes very well. I have some of his works. He says, your living is determined not so much by what life brings to you as by the attitude you bring to life. Not so much about what happens to you as by the way your mind looks at what happens. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, and so our worth is affected by the way we look at life, at least in our own minds, too. Here's one you remember. You'd see these pictures and all these quotes up here if the machine was working. Not at Elbert's fault. Someone wrong with the projector. And in the end, it's not the years in your life that count, says Abraham Lincoln. It's the life in your years. He had a way of saying a lot of things right, didn't he? Now, how much are we worth? Is it kind of partially also dependent upon the way we live our lives? Does that affect our worth? Uh, here's another person uh, close to the White House, Barbara Bush, who has things to say. <laughs> and my wife loves to hear Barbara Bush because she's just got a free spirit. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. I like that. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a friend, a child, or a parent. So our worth, even in our own eyes, can be changed by the way we live our life, right? Here's another one. I love this writer as well. Maya Angelou. Do any of you know her? She writes extremely well. Listen to what she said. The happy heart runs with the river floats on the air, lifts to the music, soars with the eagle, and hopes with the prayer. So she's saying if you have a happy heart, everything is better. Everything is better. A bird doesn't sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. And our worth is sometimes connected to that, right? I mean, you don't like to hear a preacher talking downers all the time, do you? Yeah, you hope that I have a song, right? <laughs> I've been practicing singing. Honestly, I have. I have these little things, you know, you put in your ear, these little pods you stick in your ears like this, and I hear these people singing, and I sing along in the car. I must look a fright coming down the road, you know. <laughs> singing inside the car, nobody else but me. 
The reason I'm doing that is because my wife and I are thinking about our 50th wedding anniversary. It's coming up in 2018. If we should live that long and if we should still be here. I'm going to sing to her if I get enough courage. <laughs> Climb the mountains and get their good tidings, says John Muir. Of course he would say that. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees. The winds will blow... Uh, their own freshness into you and the storms their energy while cares will drop off like autumn leaves. So my wife and I didn't climb a mountain, but we went out on our back porch the other night as the sun was going down and we have a, a park behind us filled with trees and beyond that is a main thoroughfare, sunset, uh, Sunrise Avenue goes all the way through Sacramento. A lot of, oh, sometimes the noisiest cars. But anyway, we can sit there and in the cool of the evening sit there and just feel all this stuff just drop off. You know how that is? It's just special. And you feel like your life is more worth saving. You don't want to get rid of it. You want to enjoy it, right? Well, he spent his time, oh my, so much of his time in the mountains. I had that same experience just driving over to Fort Bragg through the trees, you know? It just lifts me up. The curves don't help at all, but the mountains do. Here is Melody Beattie. Uh, you ought to see pictures here, but I haven't, you can't. Live your life from your heart. Share from your heart. And your story will touch and heal people's souls. Be genuine. And it does seem like the people that are really genuine, that come from their heart, do have this unbelievable effect of changing other people's lives. Much more. Uh, here's very simple. We don't even know who said it, but it's very simple. And you probably remember this, the only thing you're going to remember out of today's talk. Bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. And Mona, you've done that. Dean, you've done that. These have been tough years for you. Becky, you've done that too. Your mom has done that. You know, so many have done that gone through tough, tough times, the loss of your husband, you know, and, and all of those tough things that we've gone through. Ralph losing his wife, you know. Bloom where you are planted, wherever that happens to be. My wife wants me to change the soil of some plants right outside of our window in our bedroom because she wants it all covered with color. And so uh, I... I think that these poor plants are trying to grow where they threw all the concrete stuff when they built the house. So I'm going to have to dig down, get all that stuff out, put new soil in there, and get those plants something to grow on. But it's just, you know, one thing. But bloom where you are. So you can take that. That's okay. It's all right. Here is another person, Amelia Earhart. The more one does and sees and feels, the more one is able to do. And the more genuine may be one's appreciation of fundamental things like home and love and understanding, companionship. So as we live our life and we do the right things and make the right choices in our life, our life becomes a whole lot more rewarding and more potential gets built into it. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, to finish the moment, to find the journey's end in every step of the road, to live the greatest number of good hours is wisdom. Since our office is with moments, let us husband them. Take good care of them. 
of the moments, the minutes. C.S. Lewis, life is too deep for words, so don't try to describe it, just live it. And here's one more, another president's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. She's like uh, Barbara Bush, isn't she? Uh, Speaks her mind fabulously. I could not at any age be content to take my place by the fireside and simply look on. Life was meant to be lived. Curiosity must be kept alive. One must never, for whatever reason, turn his back on life. And she lived that, didn't she? Well, here I've got a picture of the Apostle Paul. And he's standing before the pagans at at, uh, Athens and all of the idols there. And he addresses the Grecians about the question about God, who gives all life and breath and all things. It's God that does that. And that's what Paul is telling them. He's making clear that scriptures regard life as a gift from heaven. So how precious is life if it's a gift from heaven? How precious, Paul said this is, to the heathens, you know, for them. And what is the value that God places on life? If you could see the screen, you would see Jesus on the cross. And what does that say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? That's a special kind of life. It's the life. There's only one everlasting life. It's the one that Jesus has. And that's what he gives to us. And it's meant to be lived forever. Because it's just so good. It's so good. That's how precious life is. So we're going to wash each other's feet. Why am I saying all these things today? Because I want you to all know that you're holding in your hands when you do this somebody's life, some precious soul that Jesus loves so very, very much. And I want you to find ways to tell that person who you're washing their feet, either by emotions or by your heart, to let them know that you get it. You understand how precious they are, how absolutely wonderful they are, how thrilling it is for you to be able to wash their feet. Enjoy that moment. Experience it to the fullest. And here's Jesus' prayer. That's what the sermon is entitled today. Here was his, what he said. It's in John 17, verses 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone. Who's he praying to? The Father. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So it's about us. That they all may be what? One. There's power in us working together. How wonderful it is for us individually, but how even much more it is when these individuals who have learned to get connected to the Lord connect to one another. And so he said to his disciples, you know, wash each other's feet. Let this be forever a hallmark in the church, that people care for one another. There's power there, amazing power. Father, Art in me and I in thee, and they also may be one in us. Wow. Who in the, which Jew understood this and lived this way? One with the Father? They were terrified of the Father. They ran and hid from the Father. You know, uh, that they may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Have you noticed how many times he uses this word one? As though maybe we wouldn't get it. <laughs> you know, one, 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 over and over. Chapter 17. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know. This is what the world's waiting can it be that people can really become like Christ? Yeah. It's by oneness. It's by love. That thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou dost love me. This is the proof. And when that proof is finally out there, God says, it's done. It's done. Come. Live with me. Physically, be one with me. All right, so we get a chance to do that. So this isn't just an empty ceremony without any meaning. Make it filled with meaning. Remember, as you hold that foot and you cradle it, how absolutely precious the potential is in that person. And, how, and what would Jesus do as he held? Hold it like Jesus would hold that foot. Touch it like Jesus would. You know that the person who owns that foot is going to feel all that, Right? And maybe you can help them to realize how precious they are in the eyes of the Lord. And if we can do this well and then come to the table and become one with Jesus, Jesus said that the whole world will know. They're going to get it. And he can come back with us to get us. All right. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to separate. And let me see if any instructions here. The men go to the social hall across the lawn and the women to the youth room a long journey to the south and then great journey to the east. And you can wash your feet up there. Okay?
From Scripture, we read this morning about the Lord's Supper. I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. I invite you to bow your heads in prayer as John has our prayer for both our bread and our grape juice. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that uh, you've given us this service and for your great love for us and loving us so much that you were willing to send your son Jesus to come here and, and die for us. And, and we praise you and thank you, dear Jesus, for your willingness to go through what you did for each one of us here, everyone, for taking our sins upon you. And Father in heaven, we just ask for your blessing now as we partake of the emblems of your son Jesus' body and the blood that was spilled for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
It's as simple as this. Take heed. Jesus is invited into your heart. Nothing more simple, and yet nothing more outstanding. Take drink, this is his blood. Our Lord and Savior wanted it to be as simple as that for us, and yet how complex and difficult for him. Opposing him. Um, help me out. Number? 184. Albert's going to come up and sing for us. How wonderful it is that our children are participating in this service.
I was told by some people in the know here that one little grand boy in our congregation, uh, what was it that you said he did? Oh, you were talking about getting ready for the wafers and the grape juice, and he was reminding you what it represented, right? So he knows. How old is he? He's five. He knows this. And so when he washed uh, his granddaddy's uh, feet, uh, you know, today, uh, I have him said the most beautiful, simple prayer at the end. Wasn't it great, guys? Yeah, and Richie. So they, they understand how great it is. And I noticed that the girls participated tonight, today. That's just absolutely wonderful, having that faith with the Lord. And now may the grace of God go with us each. And may he lift us up. May he make us strong. May he give us courage when we are weak. May he hold us close to him as though we can, like John, hear the beating of his heart. May he guide us in these awesome days in which we live, in which so much is going to transpire. And we are called to be your apostles at the most amazing time in all of history. Thank you for this service that reminds us that we are connected to you. And even though there are problems and sins in our lives, like David, like Abraham, they are nevertheless your people, as we are. Thank you for that, and thank you for your forgiveness that this service reminds us of, of and the hope that it gives us. And we are so grateful that you have saved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.